What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> oh, you got a list of them. That's a, that's prepared having a guide. Yeah, I'm having to grab that. All right, let's do it. I'm just going to jump into this one again. I'm Chase Winnegar, host of the podcast, and down with Lee McClellan. How is everyone? There you go. And Mike Harden is the guest today. Hello, Chase. Thanks for having us. Oh, for sure. Mike, you're uh, Assistant Director of Fisheries. I am. That's right. And that's statewide? It's statewide. Okay. Uh, you know, we have about four branches in fisheries, and, and I'm kind of over habitat restoration and, okay. and some of those programs. Oh, okay, okay. See, I don't know exactly what you work specifically with. I know you're a big-time fisherman. It seems like when I'm talking to somebody about going fishing around here, there's two names to get thrown out there. Is that's the guy you want to fish with. He's, <laughs> he's the one that's going to put you on fish, and it's always you and it's, and it's Chad. Mm -hmm. Those are the two people that are always pointed out to me to be the— Let's see if you want to get skunked, go fish with Lee. <laughs> 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 no. but, but seriously, it seems like uh, you've got a reputation. Oh, they don't say that every time. Just that means we got a lot of work to do at home, doesn't it? You know? <laughs> That's funny. Now, it seems like you got a pretty good reputation for being a, a good fisherman, too. I know you're out there doing it all the time. Is that probably what you're most passionate about? Is I love to fish. Yeah, yeah. I, I fish every chance I get. I don't, I don't know how many days, but it, but it's a lot. I know you, <laughs> you specifically like to musky fish, right? I love musky fish. Of course, I grew up musky fishing. Yeah. That was one of the first things we really went after. My family comes from the Licking River okay. Valley there. So you had native musky in the Licking yeah, River, right? Yeah, we had native musky, and my dad fished for it, and I had uncles and ancestors that fished. One of the first muskies I ever had was on a bait that was a hand-me-down wooden bait from my Uncle Frosty. Huh. You know, you see these musky baits. That's when you caught your first musky on that That's the first hit I had. It was pikey minnow. You remember the old wooden pikey minnows? Mm -hmm. And uh, Frosty used to have that. We even had the old rod and reels, the old uh, yeah. Fluger Akron reel mm -hmm. and a metal rod. And uh, as kids, that's what we played with. But that's what I learned on was a, a pen with a black background line. Yeah. And they could, they kind of had to flip over. Didn't have a guide on it. You had to thumb everything. Uh, oh, yeah, the line that... And a short fiberglass rod. Oh, that's, and that that's line was like a plow line. line. You could, you could oh, yeah. plow with it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. We got a rod. <laughs> we had white and a dry rod, and Granddad put black on there, black background. <laughs> oh, yeah. You could you could, you could, could pull a truck out of a ditch with that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We got, a, we got a rod in the other room that actually has that on it. It's amazing how thick it is. It's, I mean, it's ridiculous. But it, it, you know, They didn't care. I mean, fish just could. They, oh, yeah. They didn't care back then. They I probably mean, still wouldn't care today. Yeah, I mean, I bet, you know, I often wonder. Well, you, know? you fish braid today, you know, and it's it's visible, the same visible. But this stuff was thick. It's yeah. a lot yeah. thicker than the braids. Yeah, much today. thicker. That stuff's like the headphone cord Lee has going up to his individual ears. I mean, it was. <laughs> it was great to cast with, though, because yeah, it was pretty smooth. Well, and, the know? backlashes you could really get out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mono, you get one. I'm just going to drop a stick of dynamite on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Speaking of musky, real quick though, there is this one thing I wanted to ask you about, Mike, and it's this. Oh, big one, big one. Yeah, you're hooking top of the head. Uh, oh, yes. Yeah. Yes, my first musky. <laughs> hey, we saw that same that thing. That giggle, same man. What is? Oh man, that was great. Is that how it is every time you catch a how fish? How big was that? One? I, I saw that. Forty or so. Forty. It was close to forty, somewhere in that range. He, he hand measured it. He yeah, we, we didn't have a rule, but you know, I don't, I don't keep yeah. musky, so I don't. I yeah. just know if it's a big one or not, and if it's really big, then I'll I'll get if I think it's in upper forties, mm -hmm. you know I have something in my boat that's on the side of the bow, and I can measure it real quick and then get it back in the water. That makes sense. Yeah, you don't want to handle them too long, you know. It's it's pretty exhausting by the time you get it. Musky fishing is a whole different type of fishing. It's almost kind of like hunting. It's a lot like hunting. Yeah, I, get, I mean, you go. I mean, I went I literally musky fish for a solid year, 
I got a couple rises, I got a bump, I didn't catch a fish, but I was also fishing out of a kayak, making it pretty difficult on myself. Then this year, I finally caught my first muskie, and it was like getting the first deer, you know what I mean? It's a lot different than just going and catching a, a, any other fish. It is, you know, it's it's a top predator, so there, there's not as many top predators like muskie as there are crappie and panfish, yeah. and, and when you locate one, it's like seeing that big buck, mm-hmm. you know, you're not... You're not going to get that big buck every time, but once you find him, it, you keep going back yeah. and hope you see it again, and eventually you may get it. Well, muskie are kind of peculiar, too. They kind of have a home area. Like, I mean, they say that if you locate a muskie, so like when you go muskie fishing, say you find one, you get a rise or something like that, you might come back two or three hours later and go after that fish again because chances are he's hanging out in that same set of timber, that same area, right? Yeah. Now, that, now they will move, and they move over seasons and stuff, but uh, at least during that first period of fall when uh, when when they when they start feeding heavily for winter mm-hmm. uh they'll seem to have an affinity for a place and uh over over a, if you get the stable mm-hmm. stable water conditions and you find a fish you need to revisit it yeah because uh, chances are it'll be hanging out there and and even on some of the lakes uh you know up in indiana stuff some of those fish that move around they may have two or three favorite spots uh-huh. And so even though they may not be at that one spot today, they they may be there tomorrow. So is that because, do they have those spots like that because they're, like you said, apex predator? If you think about the, the food chain, I mean, it's kind of like a pyramid. The closer you get to the top, the less there's going to be. But are they a little bit more territorial? Like they have their areas? Really, if you see one fish, you're going to see more. So it's about yeah. it's about the prime water. Yeah, it's 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 the right conditions is what okay. I think is driving it. Okay. And when we're finding fish, uh, really... You know, to give away some kind of secret that fishermen and musky anglers will know this, uh, that temperature plays a big role. Yeah, preferred temperature. Yeah, so, and when you have coming out of the end of summer when temperatures are hot and you get that first cooling spell, Mm -hmm. you look for where the cool water is and that will will attract fish. I'm sure that uh, water flowing into the lakes and and rivers probably plays a role too. If you got a cool stream flowing in or after a rain event or something like that with a good amount of colder water coming in, they probably pull up in those locations. Yeah, Yeah, and that's especially true even in reverse. in the winter when you have cold water but then uh Warm you know water. they're looking for that spawning temp and that water slightly warms up in those feeder creeks that's a real time hmm. to focus on on those feeder streams would you say right now is probably the time i mean they're probably you said are, it, are they done you think or uh well we've got you know in our reservoirs we still have fluctuating water right now so we don't have stable <clears throat> conditions so the water's kind of turning over a little bit still well it's already yeah it's already past that turned but, over but you, but, you know we're getting cold fronts and rain coming in mm-hmm. so we got water levels that are fluctuating up and down that yeah. can make it a little more hard but when things stable out you know i wouldn't be afraid to fish again at all yeah and uh, you know our state record was caught in november mm-hmm. yeah and deer season on a, on a blue bird day yeah yeah so well, and i think that's the only bite sarah got that day well yeah she they right. had maybe one follow well, that's how it is when you musky fish a bite's not a bad day right oh yeah and you know we follows or you know that day you and i went i mean i think you had the i oh. saw one you went only and i saw a mouth kind of like remember and it then it just closed you and, oh, and it was right there by earlier that day he caught a 50 incher so he was having big well, we, and we were crappie fishing but every time i picked up a musky right through it it's like there was a musky following no, it, no, it was the day yeah Mm. I uh, when I was fishing cave this well, you know, two things when I was fishing cave out of my kayak last year it was cool I went up in a little cave run one of those coves you know yeah or maybe I was in big cave run either way I was in one of those and there were probably four or five boats musky fishing right and somebody caught one they hooked up and it was like everybody on all the other boats you know their attention was locked they were hooting and hollering you know like cheering them on clapping and stuff it was like you know, you don't really see that with other t- kinds of fishing, where when somebody catches one, everybody is just locked in and focused and yelling and cheering and stuff. It's pretty cool. And um, also, I got a follow that day, and my heart was pounding so hard while that muskie <laughs> was following that bait in. 
And what I did, I don't know if I screwed this up or not, but I was using a uh, a uh, bucktail spinner, an inline spinner, and he was following it, and I hit some grass with it, and that's when he lost interest. I don't know if bumping that grass with my inline spinner is probably what did it for me or not, but I don't know. I didn't have enough practice. I wasn't good at the figure eight. I didn't know how to bring it in at the right angle and all that stuff, but it was pretty cool. Yeah, like, you know, you get a lot of follows, and, uh, you know, who knows why those fish follow them, maybe they are trying to run the bucktail out of the lake. I don't know, but uh, is the know. figure eight the only thing you can do to change it up when they're following? Because you know, when, when like say you're black bass fishing and you'll have in a clear water uh, environment, you'll see fish come in and sometimes be downsized, use that same color but use a smaller lure or different in that same color hue. You can turn them on. Oh yeah, <clears throat> that happens. You know, uh, but is it just the figure eight, or are there other tactics you can uh, use when they're following but they're not committing? Well, you can switch bait ups like you talked about and, and try something a little bit smaller. And, and but then that same color profile is good, though. A follow yeah. is a good sign. Yeah, correct. follow that you're on fish, and that's the big thing. And, and what I've noticed is not necessarily the figure eight, but it's uh, anything that looks a little erratic. Yeah. I didn't know uh, if maybe you're switching up your speed. Maybe yes, if you're trying to pull yes. it away from them, they might say, hey, you're not getting away. Oh, you're not going to outrun it. Oh, yeah, no, it's the fastest freshwater fish there is, right? Oh, yeah. And you just, you know, I don't do a figure eight. I'll do like a half a half a U. Mm-hmm. And I, when, the, when the bait comes in, I will go ahead and stick my rod out and dip it. And I point it down, and where I have about three feet of line out, and I'll pull it next to the boat, and then I'll do a quick U-turn. And uh, really, I can't count the number of times as that's when a fish has hit. On the turn? Yeah, and I think it's that erratic uh, mimicking a bait fish trying to escape or or wounded. The thing is, muskie aren't afraid of the boat. They aren't afraid of the rod tip. People literally stick a foot of their rod in the water. (laughs) I guess it's just because they're apex predators. They're not too too worried about something hurting them. That's cool. It does seem to me that the muskie do like stuff over the top of their head. Yeah. And, of course, well, their eyes are situated there, you know, and they're yeah. used to coming up and, and hitting stuff over their head. So. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. But, oh, well, I wish I would have gotten after it more this year. But like I said, I, I caught my first one. And that was – we actually – we caught two that day, and we had another one on. It was probably bigger than either we caught. But, I mean, it was 41 and a half the one I caught, which isn't a monster muskie, but at the same time, I mean, it was pretty cool. That's a good fish. It's probably the biggest fish I've ever caught in the state of Kentucky. That's a good fish. I'm not sure what it weighed. I mean, it wasn't super heavy, but, I mean, it was it was a lot of fun. That was actually in the middle fork, just above Buckhorn. But it, it, it was cool, man. I can't wait to get back after it. One of my buddies bought a heavy fly rod, and he was wanting to go down to the licking. He said there's a bend about a mile downstream of the dam on Cave Run that he'd heard good reports out of. So we were going to try to do that this year, but life just got busy. That's a that's a good spot. You know, the, the old timers in there used to call, I think what he's talking about, the Orby Thomas hole. And there used to be a steel cable that ran across it, and, uh, hmm. and it was a, had a little hay cart that went across it hmm. uh, between farms across the river. I was going to say, probably had a lot of lures hanging from it. Yeah, so probably, yeah. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of lures in there. Well, I'll tell you what, let's get to some of the stuff that you wanted to talk about, Lee, and I uh, will come back to some stuff here in a little bit. But yeah, I just... Musky. That's what that, when I think of Mike Arden, I think about being a good fisherman and musky. So well, yeah, we can talk about something else if you want. To. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I think one final thing on that. You know, a lot of times if you're stream fishing for trout or for smallmouths, like you're at the end of the cast and you're like, and you've kind of given up, then you go to reel it in and it goes faster. Wham! I mean, I've had some big fish hit then when I've given up on the cast. Well, it's so. like a. Like like you said, or one of us said earlier, uh, musky. From what I've heard, are the fastest freshwater fish in North America, at least. And I heard thirty six miles an hour is how fast they could swim on in burst. I'm sure that's yeah. just in burst. I mean, that's ridiculous. If you think about yeah, thirty six miles an hour in the water, yeah, I mean, most boats don't go that fast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's wild. Something to think about. And you know what? <laughs> before before we get away from it, too, I said that I, there were two people that had a really good reputation around here for being good fishermen. The other one was Chad. 
And I know you wanted to talk about Reservoir Smallmouth. Mm -hmm. He's actually, we just dropped him off at his boat earlier. He's going down to fish a tournament on Dale this weekend. That's kind of a cool setup. Uh, it's a five fish limit and smallmouth count as double weight. So if you mm. think about the slot on Dale, it's kind of strange because an under, a smallmouth under double probably isn't going to be as good as a good largemouth, you know. But a smallmouth over, you're talking about a 10 pounds. Oh, you wow. can catch a five oh, pound, wow. you know, because it's a double. So you catch an over, that's probably a five pound fish. Mm -hmm. And then you double that, you got a 10 pounder right there. So it's kind of like a more strategic tournament. It's kind of going to be interesting to see how that goes. Well, I just checked water temperatures here earlier today. Mm -hmm. And we're in the high 50s on Dale. I'd say we're probably around in that on Cumberland. Yeah. Even though they haven't updated their fishing thing since October the 23rd. Um, but the, once once you get to that 62 degree mark and, and lower, that's when I just start getting happy. Yeah, that's what Chad said. 62 degrees is what he kind of looks for. I think when we went down a few weeks ago, it was sitting at 65. So he said we were still about two weeks early. Mm -hmm. So I, I suppose with this cold weather we had, it's probably going to be pretty prime right now. Thanksgiving and Christmas is the best time if you're on the hit Lake Cumberland, Dell Hollow, or Laurel. Yeah. Laurel's tougher to fish, but man, does it have some big smallmouths in it. Well, and this, is, this is time. They say that's where the, I mean, obviously Dale probably <clears throat> has the biggest, the best smallmouth fishing, if you ask me. Mm -hmm. That's where I think the three biggest smallmouths ever caught came out of. Do you yep. use that as confirmed? Over 10 pounds, too. Yeah. I think six out of the top 10 are from Dale. Yeah, so you can't say that Laurel has bigger smallmouth, but that's what people have told well, me, too. John Williams, yeah. uh, he just retired this year, but he was fisheries biologist down there for, for a long time. And he said if you wanted to catch a smallmouth over six pounds, your best chance would be probably Laurel. If you knew how to fish it. Yeah. Laurel is a humbling, humbling lake. It's it's really clear. Um, and you can go there and fish all day and have one hour of activity. Where One time it was rainy. I went down there with John on a photo shoot. We were with uh, John Southern. And uh, we put two fish in the boat over 20 inches, and then the sun came out, and we didn't get another bite the rest of the yeah. day. <laughs> Speaking of John Southern, that he, we went with him for the show. And, um, you know, Laurel has trout in it. And then a lot of, I'm guessing, what those bigger fish feed on are those trout. Mm -hmm. So John throws, I mean, it's just this, is it a swim bait? I don't think it's a swim bait. It's some kind of a trout imitator. It's a trout imitator. I've heard Chad, Chad went, yeah, right? And, yeah. yeah, it's like a six or seven inch long trout mm -hmm. bait. And, I mean, he just absolutely killed it. On that, on that bait. Chad apparently didn't have the right rod, didn't have the bait or something. I think Chad got skunked. John caught five or six. and oh, like right he's, he's, he's good. Knocking on five and six pounds door, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? That's some, I've got some pictures of that one Benji and then John's biggest and all that, and they're just robust in Laurel. I mean, they're like about to split their skin. They're so fat. I mean, that, was, that was a real real slow pattern, too, was it? They were oh, exceptionally he's, slow reeling. He just says he barely, barely cracks right. it. Does uh why do the why do the fish get bigger there? Just harder to catch, or the bait, the schools of bait different, or the trout? What is it? I, I think a lot of it is um, it's they're harder to catch, and catch uh, longer lived, longer lived, and you have trout. You know, anywhere you have trout, you're going to have big fish. Good food source. So, but you know, uh, but it's it's that like go when it's a slight rain, the sky is lead and like about to bang on your head. That's the day to go to Laurel. If it's bright at all, I just it's yeah. just really tough. I'll yeah. tell you what too, now with the smallmouth and Dale Hollow, that's that's like a the season's just now starting. Oh, right yeah. now. So the rest of the lakes are kind of getting a little colder and, and the largemouth are getting slower and but smallmouth small are coming on, baby. Yeah. yeah. Literally when I told Chad we were doing this, because like I said we were just rabbit hunting earlier. I told him Mike was coming on. He said, if you guys are going to talk about uh, Reservoir Smallmouth, tell tell anybody out there who's already winterized their boat that they're an idiot or something like that. <laughs> okay, maybe he didn't say an idiot. That's just the word that came. But it's something along those lines. This is my favorite time of year to have a boat. Yeah. I, mean, I wish I could just 
Go down, get on a Ranger, give somebody a hundred dollars, fish it all day, get off, hand it off the guy, and drive home. Yeah. Wouldn't that be great? I got a friend that goes down there in December and and, and November and December and smallmouth fishes and and you know you're right. It's it's the worst day. It could be snowing out, but that's when the smallmouth are hitting. The lake temperature still in the upper fifties, lower sixties. And he he was talking so hoarse. He sounded like he had a cold. And I said, "You've been fishing, haven't you?" And he said, "Yeah, I'm tearing them up there." <laughs> that's awesome. Snowy days are fantastic. Oh yeah, a snowy day in December. I'm like, I used to. Norm mentioned I had a running joke forever. The crappiest, sleetiest, coldest day, and I come up to him. He's like, "Man, we need to be on Cumberland right now." <laughs> <laughs> Those are great days when it's nasty. That's when you go to. That's when it's great. When I lead down at down at uh, at Dale. A long time ago, when you and I were growing up, there was the big talk that people would go down there and use uh, live shiners for smallmouth. Mm-hmm. You remember that? Mm-hmm. People still do. They still, they still do. That's still a big pattern down there. And I know we got the nice uh, swim baits nowadays with the Kytex and other mm-hmm. nice swim baits, and I guess that's a good mimic. But, you know, I still, my buddy, uh, James, who's caught more smallmouth over five pounds than anybody I've been in a boat with, um, his favorite thing is, is to get medium shiners and just... Six pound fluoro now is what I like to use, um, and just throw them up on those banks on Cumberland, in the lower part, and just let them come down those points and just yeah. fall real slow. And then if you feel that shiner going, and you're like, oh, your heart starts going on, don't. Then you see it going off to the side, like here we go. It's 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 still fun, you know. People, uh, you were saying people people still do that. I know there's some guides on Dale and Cumberland that used to live shiners. But uh, you said something about the Kytex and the good swim bay imitators. That's what we've been catching them on. Mm-hmm, right. And we went down a few weeks ago, and we had a good trip. I mean, it was bad conditions. I mean, there was almost no wind at some points and the bluebird skies. But we still caught uh, several fish. I think we probably boated 30-something smallmouth in a day and a half, which isn't horrible. And oh, gr- I'd take that every time. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, we talked to the grill clerk down there, and he said apparently we were doing better. Most of those fish were chad. I bet you he probably caught 20-something of the 30 between the three of us. But my girlfriend went. And she, the goal was kind of to catch a IGFA line class world record. We were going with six pound test, and the, she only had to catch a three eleven to break the world that, record. There, there's a female category. Yeah, female. And they're category. all like, like, Lord, this should be beaten yeah. easily. Yeah, it, it's very easy. I mean, it's not very easy because you got to catch a twenty one in Dale, which mm-hmm. isn't the easiest thing to do. But uh, they're very attainable records. So we were going to try to break that six pound line class world record. And we did twice, but both of them were a quarter inch short. So we couldn't have oh. either one of them certified or anything like that. But I think we're going to go back down there sometime over the winter and catch an over and have it officially weighed and break that record. Because right now, New York holds all the smallmouth records mm-hmm. for the women. Yeah. And it's like Del Hall. No, we, yeah, we need, to, we yeah. need to reclaim that. So who? Yeah. <laughs> we now, need to bring it back home to its rightful home. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I really doubt the woman who holds all those world records up there in uh, New York is listening to this. But mm-hmm. if you are, I'm sorry. We're, we're coming we're, for we're you. Coming yeah, for yeah. You. <laughs> we're we're going to come get you here in a few months. So, yeah, uh, enjoy it while you can. Take and take pictures. One of the easy patterns I see people do at Dale, and 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 one of the things Chad's taught me is yeah. the importance of the weed beds there, because Cumberland doesn't have weed beds. Yeah. So, they drift. You know, large crappie minnows, smaller shiners, medium shiners. You can use any of them. Just slowly drift them right over the top of those weed beds, and you, you can catch small mouse all day long. Well, you know the the report I saw a couple of weeks ago was. Uh, you know, some of the smallmouth were on the edge of those weeds, just like a just like a drop off, mm-hmm. and maybe thirty feet of water, and and I think it just gets better from there, doesn't mm-hmm. it? it gets yeah. Little, yeah, that's what we were doing. We were basically finding the weed beds, and it was basically as soon as you came out of those weeds, you you didn't feel the weeds anymore. Get ready, and uh, something Chad does. I guess he kind of has these spots picked out, but within the weeds weed beds, there will be bare spots. I don't know if the rock is different or what's going on down there, but there will be bare spots in the weed bed. 
and he says that if you get in there, there's likely to be several fish grouped up together. So I guess somehow he knows where those spots are. Good electronics will probably tell you too. Mm -hmm. But uh, shoot, what in the world? What what was I getting ready to say? Oh yeah, I was wanting wanting you, Lee, to tell that story about the time you went down there with Chad, and uh, you were like, oh, this is you know, whatever. Well, you told it me was, this story. It was January fourth. I was like thirty nine to forty. Blue bird skies, bright as you could absolute get. And I was like, well. I'm getting up early. I'm getting up at 3.30 a.m. to get down there on time to meet Chad. And I don't even know why I'm doing it. We won't catch a thing. It's going to... Since I got there, I was crestfallen. <clears throat> and we did the, the pattern that Chase is talking about with the smaller Kytec swim bank, a tungsten head, football head, and just throwing it up in the weeds. And I was like, we're not going to do very well today. And within an hour or so, Chad was like, throw up in there and you get it hung and pop it, boink, I caught an 18-inch smallmouth, then I caught like an 18-and-a-half-inch smallmouth, and I could, caught two largemouths over 18 that day. On a day, I thought I wouldn't even get a bite. So. Well, he, well, he doesn't use a swim bait like a swim <clears> bait. <throat> you know, because you, like you were talking about earlier, good swim baits to imitate those shad and things, but he's not he's not swimming. He's literally letting it hit the bottom, and he's just pulling it through those weeds. He's kind of like, it looks like a dying or basically dead bait fish on the bottom, just mm -hmm. twitching. Just a real slow, soft twitch from working across the bottom. So he's using it more like a jig or a soft plastic. But. And when it gets hung, as soon as, you, as soon as you break it loose out of that, just, that's when you need to be on your toes because that's when they hit almost every well, time. You know, this is about the time of the year you start to see some shad start to struggle. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so I, think that's, great pattern. Yeah. I think that's why it works well is because yeah. you're out there imitating those dying bait fish. Not a live, living bait fish, but you're imitating a dying one while the schools are stressing and, right. and dying off. So it makes a lot of sense. But it is, uh, it's so fun. Uh, winter smallmouth fishing is just yeah. Yeah, i'll tell you this you see the forecast in this upcoming week we're looking we're getting some stable patterns mm -hmm. so once we get that stable pattern you'll be able to get some fish what, no is, doubt. what do you think is most important to catch some fish in your opinion going you can't catch them on the couch you gotta get out there <laughs> no get doubt after it. no and, doubt uh, you know i was out this past week and and it was miserable if <laughs> it looked like it it was a little bit of rain and a mm -hmm. 40 degrees but uh you know we have really good equipment nowadays. You get you put some fleece on and you put a just a light oh, rain so coat over better. that, and I was warm as toast. Oh yeah. Uh, but now the fish are pulled off. They weren't in their summer pattern, and uh, they were on those creek channels and stuff. And I caught a mess of crappie, and uh, they were a little deeper and a little slower. And just be patient. But you know, fish are still going to eat. Fish mm -hmm. are still there. Yeah. Well, I mean, a, a good good set of bibs, waterfowl hunting gear. I, I've told a million people this is the best winter fishing gear you can find so if you like to waterfowl hunt or you think you might get into it if you want to get into winter smallmouth fishing buy that and you're warm as toast compared to yep. the stuff we have when we were kids oh, i got yeah. that waffle weave stuff yeah. and yeah five t-shirts yeah yeah <laughs> and that, you know that waffle weave and you'd be like in about three o'clock in the afternoon you're like i'm so cold you know now you can hack it it's just oh, yeah. yeah and then the fleece is cheap but it works yeah fleece works fantastic and and you can get the, the biggest change is the modern stuff you can get soaking wet and it doesn't lose its uh, ability to keep yes. you warm. And then cotton, cotton's junk. Don't ever wear cotton in cold weather. Once it gets wet, it's, it has yeah. no insulating properties whatsoever. Yeah, you need something that's going to hold that heat. So the fleece is good. It's fluffy. It's thick. And, and well, you're not bulked up either. You can still yeah. move and you can still, yeah, still mobile. Strong. I remember those, uh, they call them Eskimo suits when I was a kid. Those Big old puffy oh, yeah. uh, Michelin man looking things. <laughs> Everybody had to have those electric hand warmers or or the ones with batteries. And some you lit, you put a lighter Light fluid in and lit them, and you'd have a little fire. Just be careful. You had stuff on fire in your pocket to keep your hands. Did you really? I, I've got two of them. I found them at a flea market. I kept them just for old times' sake. I still have them. But so you, were you put them in a little velvet bag. You you you, you had a little wick. Yeah, 
Yep. Uh, you had a little wick, and you'd uh, squirt the lighter fluid in it, uh, fill up the reservoir, then light it, then you put the silver thing over the top of it, and then put it in that uh, velvet little pouch it came yeah. in, stick it in your pocket, and that was your hand warm. That seems ridiculous <laughs> to have something on fire. Yeah, it, you would have two of them. It was metal. It was metal. <laughs> yeah. Did you put them in the velvet case just so it wouldn't burn you? Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot right. better now. I love you. Oh, it's a lot better now. That's <laughs> in the, the time before uh, uh, frivolous lawsuits, apparently. Mm. <laughs> you know what I mean? But I found I found a couple. Of, you know, I think they're still in the market. But uh, everybody had those Polish socks, too. Do you remember the battery-powered socks? Oh, I do, yeah. I do remember those, too. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, but you don't need that anymore. But polypropylene fleece has been the best thing that ever happened. Yeah, to got all kinds of options now. Yeah. And and the rods are just so much more sensitive and lighter and better, too. Yeah. You can could, you could pick up those really light winter bites like you used to Oh, yeah, I borrowed some of Chad's stuff because he has much. He gets the stuff from Shimano for the show, their sponsor. So he gets uh, kind of the whatever gear he basically wants from Shimano. And using that GLX, is that what it's called? GLS, GLX? Which one is it? That, uh, I think G, the highest G Loomis is GLX. It? Yeah, it was a GLX. Using that rod was night and day difference. And no, they have that new NRX, which is even more expensive. I think it's supposed to be even better, but for long. GLX is really, you know, I can't. Premium. I can't imagine a better rod than, than that. I mean, it was perfect. Perfect. I only have that one hot dollar rod, and that's that Loomis musky rod. I bought that just for that one fish I caught. I guess I've I've got my, my fish off of it. Money well spent. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. Yeah, no I, doubt. Did, I took it to Florida. I did pretty well in Florida with it. I just saw me enough. Is that the one I took to Florida? Yeah. Yeah. I brought his rod down. We met at the Destin Walmart. Yeah. <laughs> and I brought him his fishing rod down. They were going to charge me 176 bucks to ship it. 176 bucks. So I'm heading down this. We were heading down right at the same time. I was like, so. I'll stick it in the Highlander and I'll meet you. So. Yeah, yeah. I flew down one way and rode back, so I just needed somebody to take the ride there. And luckily, it worked out perfectly. He was showing up the day after me, so I don't know how I got so lucky. Yeah, we met at Destin Walmart. I went and bought my fishing license. Yeah, yeah, worked out well for me. And they slayed them. We we did. Eh, my dad and I did, but we started getting on catfish, and Dad doesn't care. He's like, if I'm reeling in fish, I'm completely happy. Um, I'm not a snob. I just like to have fish on my line and reel them in because I take them all for them and stuff. We caught some good catfish, too. The saltwater catfish? Yeah. Yeah, some of those, the ones with the real long whiskers, the angel, whatever they're called. Uh, Gallop sail, isn't it? Gallop sail catfish, yeah, I think so. They're better than the hardheads. The hardheads are the... Yeah. It's slime, everything. Oh, my gosh. We, we kept a couple of red drum. will light you up, too. Be careful. Oh, spiny. You gotta oh my God, they'll light you up. We, we kept a couple of red drum. That's the only thing we caught. Or red fish, whatever you want to call them. But I, I cooked them up like basically on the spot, flayed them on the on the pier, took them up to the room and cooked them up, and it was delicious. I bet flaky yeah. white fish. Yeah, they're they're fantastic. Oh well, tell me what tell me what we got going on right now. What well, you've been well, working? Well, the other on? thing, Mike and I were talking the other day, and yeah. uh, and, and you know, sauger are another fish that that, that that they defy everything else because when it's the coldest, that's when they're at their best. Yeah. And, yeah. And you you heard some reports this week. Yeah, we're getting some reports of uh, you know they're starting, and this is this is it's about the time of year they start from now through February. Yep. I mean, well even into the spring, but uh, you know they're pulling up behind the dams now, yep. and they, they'll begin their spawning runs, and usually starts with some males starting, and then followed by the females. But uh, and uh, but below these dams, like Meldal, there's a nice sandy beach below it, and those fish will pull in there and spawn, and offers anglers a great opportunity, and it's a it's a great fish. It, it's a cold water fish. It's so tasty this season. Tasty. Really tasty. It's one of my favorite fish to eat. Yeah, it's it's fantastic. But now you may the bite, you know, may be a morning and evening bite, so uh, you need to be yeah. there early and late. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, my favorite three fish to eat are anything in the sauger. Uh, like saw guy was delicious oh, when yeah. I caught it. Saw guy, sauger, and then I like crappie. 
why am I drawing a blank on my third? <laughs> what am I? Like, I mean, but yellow perch is pretty good. That's my, my favorite is yellow. Perch. Oh, no, striper. Any of the, so it's uh, the sauger uh, family. I like the uh, crappie and I like the striped bass. I like so, the ones in my freezer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the ones on a plate that are already prepared. <laughs> so, those so, are my favorite fish. <laughs> so, as, as far as catching those sauger go, uh, you know, it's kind of weird because, like, like you said, this time of year they're pulling up below the dams. Mm-hmm. And I've caught them below lock four. We've caught them pretty much, I mean, any dam on the Kentucky or Ohio River is going to do pretty good, right? Meldal, too, it's it's in Bracken County. They've really put in a nice um, soup infrastructure there for fishing. Yeah, they have a fishing pier. They've got some grouted walkways that run up through right below the hydropower tail race. Huh. And as that, as that winds around, so that's great access for, for, yeah. di- for different types of fishermen. And then below that is a nice sandy beach that is uh, easy to traverse. And you can get right there on the water. And Didn't you say that some of them were catching them just throwing it out just oh, yeah. from that sandy beach, not throwing it out halfway across the river, just giving it a general oh, yeah. catch some and catch them. Some of the locals that knew what they were doing, they, they weren't making big, long casts way out in the river. They were, it was 30, 20, 30 feet off of the bank, and they were catching fish. So yeah. how do people, because the only way I've ever fished for them is vertically jigging, which you really need a boat, or I guess those piers could work for. And that's just right. where people take a... A small, like usually a pink or a chartreuse jig head. Mm-hmm. Orange is a great. Orange and black is great. Yeah. Um, and and the lime green grub that you use out of Kentucky Lake that's popular for crappie. I've caught a lot of sauger using that color. Yeah, and, and the green is green chartreuse. Yeah. You can tip them with a minna, yeah. and, and a lot of, mm-hmm. a lot of times you, if you want, you can put a stinger hook. Yeah, on it the seems back like the stinger too. hook gets a lot of the fish. Yeah. And uh, so yeah, people and they they sell stinger hooks that you can literally just buy and stick over your your main hook. I think they, I don't know if they have them at Walmart, but they probably got them at Academy or at Cabela's or most places like that. Nice, Dick Sporting yeah. Goods probably even has them. I wouldn't be surprised at all. But if you're not vertically jigging, so say you are on the bank and you are casting, how are you catching sauger? Well, you know, some of the, some of the folks are using floating jig heads. Mm-hmm. And so they're, they're pretty much like a Carolina rig with a worm and bass fishing. you got a sinker and, uh, and the floating jig head is maybe a foot or two behind that. And it's, so it's floating up off of the bottom just a little bit. And uh, that keeps it keeps you from getting so, so they're actually going to the bottom with a weight, and then their right. jig is floating up from the right. bottom. That makes right. sense. That and makes then sense. the good old leadhead jig too. Oh yeah, smacks them. But if but I one thing I've noticed, if you're not banging bottom and getting hung every once in a while, you're not catching any solid. Yeah, you yeah. gotta be you gotta be close. Got to be on. Now, that's another advantage to the uh, stinger hook is that a lot of times if you tie that with a little bit lighter line, like say your main line is a eight pound and you run a four or a six to your stinger then you'll break that off and not lose your whole jig head yes when you when you hang bottom because like you said you are going to be one of them. you are going to need to bring a lot yeah bring a lot of heads or bring a lot of grubs because yeah. i mean you're gonna you're gonna lose some yeah and a sauger pull up behind a, any kind of little obstruction it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be much but yeah i went one time with rick and we met these people we were working on a story and and we met they got there like four four thirty oh yeah and, uh, and that that was on the cover of the fishing guide 10 years ago, but there was a guy with a monster saw guy he caught that day before they did at the old Markland Dam. That's a great photo, too. I've yeah. seen that. Yeah, that was on. Yeah, And okay. they were all grinning and holding up their, you know, that was, was I'll have to look that up. Yeah, I've got it in my files. I'll show it to you sometime. Yeah, do that. I heard the story of uh, Chino Ross, you know Chino. He was fishing below lock four for Sauger one time, and he caught, ended up catching like a 38-inch muskie on a six-pound test. He said he never would have landed that thing if it didn't get up and 
uh, to the right of the dam. You know, what's that? I guess it's a lock. Mm -hmm. right. They got yeah. up in the lock where there was slack water. He said that's the only way I ever caught. I think it still took them 45 minutes or something like that. Yeah, just take your time. There's really nothing to get hung up on, so you just let them let the reel do its work. That's oh, why they invented drag. Uh, all right. <laughs> I find stuff to get hung up on. All right, if it's there, I can I can find it for you. Do, do you remember when that guy came and he was sauger fishing at Lockport? Down below the Lock and Dam there, I think it's Lock and Dam 3, and there's that 2. It might two. be 2. Yeah. Um, and he caught a monster muskie. He said he fought it. Remember, and we oh, took yeah. his picture. Do you yeah. remember? I wrote a story about that one in the war for it. But. Yeah, and I think well, that story is, you can find that same story with other people mm -hmm. at every one of these. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, there's some. And I took pictures. I still have pictures of that guy. That was a monster. He caught on a six-pound line and a little crappie grub. It was a 50 inch, was it? Yeah, it was. It, it, was, a, it was a monster. I don't know how you catch a 50-inch muskie on six-pound test, unless you have a boat. Unless no, he, was, he was bank fishing. I've seen it. it. I've seen it happen. Mm -hmm. I don't see how <laughs> I saw you the it. fish, and he was grinning ear to ear. That guy was so pumped up. He had it laying in his bed of his trunk just on top of a bunch of, like, shovels and stuff like that. <laughs> People say muskie are delicious, too. I mean, I never have eaten one, but. They're good. I've, I've had them growing up. That's what we used to keep them. And they have old timers. Old timers would stay, stake them out. Yeah, that's how I've seen and, it done uh, before. But it's a it's a white meat. Yeah, and it's really firm, so it's a it's a good. I feel like black I feel like I, if I caught one and it could be released healthy, I would have to release it healthy. But if I hooked one up bad or it wasn't going to survive, then might as well take it. Well, it happens. You get the occasional fish that yeah. you know will unfortunately get hung too deep and it'll be in the gills and it just won't make it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I'm like you. Yeah, I, I release most of them. We don't. It's a top predator. Yeah. Not you know, a name. lot of people hate muskie though. Like you, I've heard stories of people hanging them from trees and. Well, they blame them. Yeah, they get yeah. blamed for a lot. Like if the crappie fishing's poor, they're going through a cycle, then they'll blame muskie. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's a that's a common, common complaint or perception, but it's it's not true. You know, they mainly eat suckers, that, don't they? Yeah, if if you look at they, eighty percent of their diet's rough fish. Mm -hmm. Of course, that's there's more rough fish than there is anything else, and that's that's what predators do. They eat the most common thing. Mm -hmm. When you say rough fish, basically you're saying not a sport fish, right? That's, so that's a, like suckers, suckers, carp, suckers, uh, chub minnows, shad, buffalo. Yeah, I think All that I've, I've heard red horse is one of their favorites, maybe in the river systems. Yeah, well, it was a common, yeah, it was a common yeah. river fish, and, yeah. they, and they grouped up in the spring, and and the old timers, you know, that's when they musky fish right below uh, uh, a sucker run. So mm -hmm. when the red horse were on the hmm. riffle, the musky were not far behind. That makes sense. Well, well, back in the day, that was really popular during the sucker runs, go gigging in the spring. Oh yeah, that's what people did, and and that's in these and, smaller creeks, they right. gig them. So then can them. Make fish cakes out of them and count them. I think we're supposed to do that story with somebody. Gig That'd be a great story. That'd be a great story. Gigging white suckers and canning them. Mm -hmm. I, yeah, I think that somebody contacted us about doing that. Well, Jerry Binack, hey, the, those people, you know, his buddies that were down, the commercial people that lived on Lake Barkley, mm -hmm. said they, they were my second parents that kept me alive when I was four. <laughs> That's a day that blue sucker and uh, make you know, can them and make fish patties. Well, he said it was delicious. That'd be a great story, just because you know I don't know how many people still do oh, that. That's, 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 that's an old time that's thing. There, can, canning in general is kind of going away a little bit. I believe I've never canned anything, and none of my friends have. You know, I think that's something that's well, kind my of. My granddad canned. I feel like everybody used to can, but nobody does now. Mm -hmm. Might be something to look He'd into. He make jelly, and we'd have to melt the wax and pack the wax over oh, the top yeah. of the jelly, and you know. <laughs> a minute ago, you said something about Lake Barkley. Yes, I don't know if this is info that. You have to give out or anything, but you told me the other day on the phone that you had heard. Well, something. I talked to the fisheries biologist down there, and he's seeing some encouraging signs. Is that Adam Asian carp, um, and he's finding out that they're not as long lived a species, and uh, he's seen because commercial angling has Barkley's easier to fish because it's shallower. Um, Kentucky Lake has a lot more, you know, it's big, deeper, 
Um, and, you know, they, they kind of have carp above and below, and Barkley kind of doesn't. So he's seeing some significant drops in, in population. Now, you know, and he said they, they haven't had very, they've only had a couple of spawns. And uh, five years after the spawn, he's seeing dramatic declines as they go along. They, they're burning out quick, and he thinks that the commercial angling is having a, an impact. And he believes that barrier works. We could see some significant progress if we, you know, again, anecdotal, you know, don't want to get everybody super excited, but there is some uh, brightening of the clouds a little bit. When you say the barrier, it's a bubble barrier. They're right? going to put a sound and bubble barrier there. Okay. Um, there's still some kinks to be worked out on it. And that when, do you know when that's going to go completely uh, operational? No, it's, it's still in the works, but it's, but it's <clears throat> not too far off. It's, and that, and um, our fisheries biologist down there think is, is, is cautiously optimistic that that will make a big difference. So basically, basically the thing with the Asian carp is, you know, all fish have lateral lines that they use to sense what's mm -hmm. around them, basically. And Asian carp, the way I understand it, have very, very sensitive lateral lines. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons that they jump out of the water. And that's one of the reasons they're so hard to catch in a net or, mm -hmm. or with electrofishing mm -hmm. is because they can sense it and then get out of the way or jump clean over the net or anything like that. But this, the barrier is going to be a wall of bubbles, basically. And it's, sound, isn't it? Yeah, that's this deterrent like that. It's something they don't want to cross. Mm -hmm. Those lateral, their, their extreme sensitivity is going to make them not want to cross that barrier. So hopefully if we put it below the lake in the tailwater, mm -hmm. we can Where keep... Where they're coming in. We can keep fish from moving up. And, you know, Kentucky has a lot more barge and, and commercial traffic than Barkley, so that lock and dam is opening up all the time. Yeah. It's letting more in, so... We're, we're um, just trying to hit it on all fronts. Yes, yeah. and trying all these, all yeah. some different approaches to keep them under control. Because yeah. after you know, all years dire, dire and dire when you're here talking about Asian carp. So there is, there, there may be some, some things to, to, that might be uh, happening in the right direction instead of it. Oh God, they're here again and they're taking over. And there's a lot of concern down there about the impact because that's such a economic driver. You know the. Crappie fishing, the, 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 oh, the bass, yeah. and, and I mean, they're fantastic. Kentucky Lake's my favorite place to fish on earth. You know, yeah, I love even, it. Not even that, but just boating. I mean, if, mm -hmm. you, know, if you start having people getting hit in the head with jumping, oh, yeah, I've seen it happen. I'm sure you guys have too. <laughs> it's pretty, pretty wild to watch, to be honest with you. But, but the uh, the Great Lakes still don't have them, though, right? That's kind of the trying to keep them out of the that Great is Lakes. the big, huge main concern because that's like a multi billion dollar industry on the Great mm -hmm. Lakes as far as fishing and boating. And don't they, are they using this barrier currently in Illinois? Uh, they, they have some electronic barrier mm -hmm. up in Illinois, but I'm, I'm not sure exactly how that's designed. But yes, it's a, it's a barrier. Well, something's working, though. Yeah. And, and you know, the fish is still mm -hmm. uh, spreading at this time. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So, really, everything's up there is kind of preventative. And yeah, it's wild. I mean, how far up they are. They're below, I'm from Shelby County, and they're below Guest Creek right now. They're literally in the... They're moving. They're on the move, and that's yeah. what we're really trying to get a handle on. It's, mm -hmm. it's just ridiculous. People they're are, below Guest Creek? They are literally in the spillway below Guest Creek Lake. Wow. People go out there and bow fish them. And uh, they're below Taylorsville Lake. I mean, basically, if it connects uninhibited or without a... Because I, I think they have to go over some small boil-over mm -hmm. dams to get to where they are. But if you don't have a major dam or spillway... Uh, between the Ohio River and a body of water, they're probably going to be there, the way I understand it. So, yeah, you know, even even the, the dams we have are low head dams, so during flood conditions, you know, that's just not a temporary. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it takes a dam like uh, uh, the one at Taylorsville or right, right. Cumberland, or if they get up a uh, Wolf Creek, then I'll be very impressed. Yeah. But uh, or that, Del that's, Hall. that's that's you know. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> well, then some, I shudder to think of, you know. There has There's something to do with water clarity also. Apparently, they don't like clear water. Is that true? You know, I, I'm not sure if they're preferring clear water or not. I've, uh, I've heard that um, it's something to do with the nutri nutrient level of the water based mm -hmm. for what they eat, what they need. They like the uh, Barclay in Kentucky, you know, water. Those are really fertile systems. Yeah. And mm -hmm. uh, so really rich with plankton. Yeah. And that's but, really. But they hammer the plankton, source. though. I mean, yeah. they hammer it. You know, a lot of people very realize. Efficient, very efficient. All fish at a certain stage in their development eat the same thing. Yeah. And, well, species uh, yeah, that, and that's the threat. You yeah. know, the Asian carp pose a threat to the, our sport fish. Yeah. When, because of that, that juvenile time. stages. Yeah. They, don't, they don't hurt the adult sport fish. They hurt the the very, very young ones that are still feeding on the same Well, that and indirectly, they're, they're hitting the food chain. Yeah. yeah. I mean, because, you know, even shad are requiring the plankton. So mm -hmm. if they're out competing some of those things, you can have that kind of impact. It's trickled in. And, and you're seeing some of that. It's... Um, <clears throat> Our guy Adam said um, that you know either you're seeing really healthy bass or you're seeing some that are in, in a little bit less body condition. It's it's really hit or miss. So I mean tournament weights on Kentucky Lake or the, the last year some of the best they've had. So no, I think they were the best. I think yeah. that there was an FLW record set mm -hmm. on Barkley or on Kentucky Lake for a tournament bag and a one day bag. So that makes you. Be opt a little bit optimistic, but at yeah. the same time, you know, because I've seen them. I've been fishing out there going, "What is that like?" Oh my god! And you just see a big cloud of them. Yeah, and you can hit them on your sonar, and, mm -hmm. and you can tell something's up. There's a lot of fish. Did yeah. you watch the bow fishing uh, piece we did down there? I didn't see that. The bow, the cart madness two, the bow fishing tournament. Man, we got over them with our sonar, and you could see pods of a thousand down there below the dams. We were right below the dams. I mean, it got to the point where some of the guys were just shooting random shots straight down into the water to see if they'd stick one or not. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, when they're in there that thick, it's I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing to see. It's, it's horrible, horrible yeah. to see, but pretty amazing at the same time. Well, one other thing I'd like to throw in with Sauger, um, okay. to backtrack a little bit. One of the things that Sauger offer you is there's a lot of good places to bank fish for. You know, we can't always assume everybody has a boat because, you know, not everybody has a boat. Not everybody has a kayak. Not everybody has a canoe. You know, some people are, um, bank fishing is their, is their main way to fish. And one of the best places, if you live in the Louisville area, is I've, I've done great at the Falls of the Ohio Interpretive Park. And you can go on the Indiana side and you can fish that with your Kentucky license. Mm -hmm. It's easily accessible, too. Yeah, it's, it's and, and when it's low water over there, it's ball. It, like, braids up and you can throw little crank baits and stuff and just catch sauger left and right jim axon caught a monster down there one day in october yeah that we use we've used that picture five thousand times it's kind of golden hour of the day perfect light and he's holding <laughs> that big fatty that he got on a little crankbank we, we smoked him that day um also meldall walking down what we talked about earlier which is in foster kentucky but speaking of kentucky and barkley the tailwater areas even though the asian carp are there they still offer um some really good sauger opportunities yeah, and they've put in a lot of new fishing piers and walkways on the Kentucky Lake and then on the eastern side of Barkley, on the, the eastern side of the Cumberland River there, um, below the dam, there's really good parking and excellent bank fishing. So if you're down that part of the world, you can catch sauger all winter long beneath both of those, even with the aging car. You can still catch yeah, you know, good that's, sauger that's a good there. Point. And uh, even some of our other <clears throat> tailwaters, even the east and stuff, we offer trout fishing. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know that's cold water species, and it's a great bank opportunity. I know Thanksgiving coming up, and my brother and I will go below K Run, and, and we'll catch plenty of crappie down there this time of year. Mm -hmm. So the trout, now, 
there's a catch and release only season for them, mm-hmm. and that just started, correct? October 1. When? October 1. Mm-hmm. And then, so basically the way the trout work, or we're stocking them now, correct? Because they're a colder water yes, species, yes. and most of our, our water is year-round. So mm-hmm. we basically wait to stock them until the water is below 70, mm-hmm. safely below 70. Right, you start creeping above that. That's when they start dying. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're going to stock those. It's basically a put-and-take resource, but don't take it yet because it's going to live throughout the winter, and then there is a catch-and-keep season for them in the spring, right? April 1, everywhere, but uh, Swift Camp Creek in the gorge, and it's May 31 when it's opened back up. Yeah. Uh, the trout would be probably my fourth favorite fish to eat but, that we have. And you, you've you been on them. Didn't you go to East Fork Indian Creek last? Yeah, we went to – I'll tell you what, my girlfriend shows me up so much. We, 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 <laughs> you all caught fish, didn't you? You did well, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, she did really well. I caught a couple fish. But, I mean, I just don't get it. We go fishing, and she catches a nine-pound largemouth bass. And I'm catching – I mean, good bass, but I've never caught a nine-pounder in my life. We go down to Dale. She catches – two fish that go about 4.8 pounds the biggest one i caught on the trip was two and we go out there to go fishing at east fork of indian creek there in the gorge for trout she catches browns and rainbows and i'm struggling it's like four o'clock in the afternoon i'm just still trying to get the first one like i do not understand how this happens it's just good woman sounds like i'm sorry there's got to be a it's like at first you're like, oh, I mean, you're happy for like, you know, she got lucky, she got a good fish, but I'm consistently getting my butt whooped. Okay, like I don't, I don't get it. I'm taking her to my spots. I'm showing her where the fish are. I've so, had that. My wife's done that to me, so but I like it. You know, no, I don't mind. The, the flip scenario is uh, you went fishing again, and you come home and uh, to the angry uh, significant other because no. you've been gone and didn't take them and all that. So. No, I'm not mad that it's happening. Or I'm happy. I'm glad. I love it. But it makes me Still, wonder. It makes me wonder what I'm doing wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, why am I not catching these fish? It's. It doesn't seem fair. Oh well. I'm just, but we've all been in that throwing the exact same lure, exact same place, and the person with you is just destroying them, and you can't buy one. And sometimes it, you're the one destroying, them and they can't buy one. And yep. then at the end of the day, you're like, "Hey man, try this," you know, because you, you start wanting your uh, fishing partner to do well, and sometimes you just have the karma that day, and then sometimes you don't. You know. Well, going back to fishing uh, with Chad on Dale, we fished the exact same bait, the exact same way, and I'm fishing out of the same boat. We're fishing the exact same water, but Chad's catching four and five times as many fish. And hey, the, he's done that to me too. The reason for it is that he is feeling the bites. This time of year, those uh, reservoir smallmouth, when the water's cooling off, the bite is so light you almost can't feel it. It, I feel like Chad has a sixth sense for it. He just somehow knows there's a fish there, and he whips that rod back. But, I mean, sometimes it's that you feel nothing. The bite is feeling nothing. You know what I mean? You're like, well, I'm not, Spongy. I'm not sure I feel my bait. That's right. Yeah, especially if you're fishing that swim bait. And, yeah. And you just feel some – it feels maybe like you're on a piece of weed or something. Mm-hmm. It's barely slowing it down. And, yeah. and I think I've heard Chad talk about that. You know, you got to know when to set the hook. You don't set mm-hmm. up immediately. You wait and let that load up just a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you still that just that spongy, slight resistance. Yeah. As uh, Jerry McDaniel says, hook sets are free. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, uh, so if somebody goes down there and they I've try to. fooled that, a bunch, you know, like, oh, that's probably not a fish. Oh, good. I got to hit him again. You know. Yeah. I've been fooled like that a bunch. If somebody goes down there and they try that and they think they're not getting bites or they're having a slow day, chances are they are getting bites and they just might want to keep that line a little bit tighter and pay a little bit more attention to what they're actually feeling because, I mean, I'm talking just a little, the littlest bump you can I have. really think that, and one thing Chad turned me on to because I'm cheap, um, 
I was reluctant because I had so much monofilament. And when fluorocarbon hit, I mean, I was kind of resistant because I have a whole tub of mono. But this is when that density of fluoro <clears throat> really makes a difference. Well, not just fishing deep and trying to fill the bites. It the really makes a difference. <clears throat> not everybody might know the difference in mono and fluoro. So basically, mono floats. Mm -hmm. It's a floating line, and it has stretch in it. I'm not sure why. I think the stretch is something like 4% or something like that. So you know how when you take fishing line and you pull it, it kind of stretches a little bit like a rubber band, not to that point. But fluoro is rigid, no stretching in it at all, and it sinks. Dense. Yeah. So you get a much better connection when you're fishing on the bottom. And when you're fishing those fish that are 20 to 30 and 40 feet deep. It really helps. Yeah, it gives you a direct connection to your line. And when you're setting the hook that deep, not having that stretch in there helps a lot too. Yeah, no bow in your line. Yeah. And also this time of year, if that bite is subtle like that, that mm -hmm. makes a lot of difference. Oh, it makes it, you know. Right. I, and now I'm like, I hardly throw mono. I mean, yeah. I have a few things. I have some copolymer and it's uh, coated in, in fluoro. I like to throw that on the creek. Uh, P-Line makes one. There's a couple of them that make that. So you get some of the density. And also, uh, light goes through fluoro. Mm -hmm. It does not mono. Yeah. So that, that really gives it an, an invisibility that, that you just can't match. And that gives you an advantage in that clear water, oh, like they are comfortable. You know, while we're going to talk about fluoro mono, we might as well throw braid in there. Mm -hmm. Say the advantages to <clears throat> braid. I mean, braid's going to cut through weeds and water better because it's much thinner for the strength. So, I mean, I think what a a fifty pound braid is like a twelve pound mono. Yeah, something like that. A lot of people will take a mono, you know, tie that. There's a new knot now. You can attach braid to. To fluoro, rather, for, for your leader. I'm yeah. going to catch up with you and look at that. Yeah. Because um, yeah. it's been hard to connect. Well, Adam, Adam's the one who told Yeah, no. Yeah. It's, it's, it, it can be frustrating. So the, um, the braid is going to cut through water and weeds better. It's going to have no stretch as well. So you get that hook set just like you do with fluoro. It floats. Yeah, braid floats. A little bit, yeah. A little bit, yeah. It's just extremely tough, too, though. And it has I just wish I could get used to the sound of braid through guides. Oh, still I, 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 I kind of like how it sounds. Well, I'll tell you what, after you use braid or, or floral and you get that direct hookup, uh, you may not realize how much mono is stretching until you go back to it. Oh, I know. And yeah. I've lost fish going back mm -hmm. to it. Just sometimes to that it. stretch is all right. You know? Yeah. But it's, sometimes it's forgetting. Mm -hmm. I really like braid. Braid's probably, I mean, I, I run braid for quite a bit. You could get, you can get 15 pound braid. You know what I mean? And run that, and that's probably a four-pound equivalent. So you got this real thin line, but the thing is it's visible because mm -hmm. it's, it's not clear like the other lines are. But Braid, uh, braid has some advantages, but it will cut you. Mm -hmm. oh, it'll cut you right now. Yeah, it'll cut you. When I've been out there uh, deep sea, or not deep sea because obviously I didn't go that far out. When I've been out there kayak fishing in the ocean running that braid and with the potential of catching a really big fish, I have a, a knife on my pocket, I have a knife on my vest, and I have a knife on my kayak, mm -hmm. you know, ready. Because if that stuff was to get wrapped around your wrist or something with a big fish on there, I mean, it could literally take your hand off. Mm -hmm. Yeah, or pull you in. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You'd have no to do doubt. something. It's dangerous. So, you, I mean, if you try to, you know, pull real hard on a on a snag with, with braid, you're going to cut that little crease right there on your mm -hmm. hand. Yeah, I've done it before, too. Snap a nice tip off an expensive rod, too, if you get frustrated and pull too hard. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. I broke a G. Loomis musky rod doing that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I was uh, snagged. Tear them high. <laughs> yeah. I was sna I snagged on the Kentucky River, and uh, the weight of the current was just kind of pulling my boat down, and the rod was rated for up to 80-pound test. I had 50-pound braid on there, and all of a sudden it sounded like a gun went off, and that rod snapped right in half. I guess I, I mean, I don't know what I did. Maybe it's it was like a hand-tied hair jig, you know. 
the one you buy at the store, you can't lose it for anything, but a hand tie you spend, it's beautiful, and you spend a ton of time on it, that'll get hung 30 First feet cast. deep on the second cast of the stuff, and you can't get it out. Snap, and you're just, oh, boiling mad. But that, that dollar fifty one, you can't hang it for anything. anything. Can't lose it. It's like a new golf ball. You know, if you, if you tee up a scuffer, it'll go straight down the fairway. You tee up a brand new one, you'll hook that thing into the lake. <laughs> That's funny, man. I never thought about that. But I've, I've been so mad because, I've, you know, I, I'm not real good at tying jigs. Some friends of mine are really good. But I've had a few that look nice. and like, oh, I can't wait to get your fish on my jig and hang it on a stump and have to break it off on a third I've cast. Done that. I've tied a bunch of them for soccer fishing a couple of years ago. I bet I had two dozen and came back with ten. Ten. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I think I'm going back to buy them. <laughs> That's funny. I've never, I've never made my own lures in any way. So, I mean, it seems like something to be fun if you like have the time to do it. I've, I've tied quite a few uh, hair jigs that I've. Yeah, it's not hard. Well, yeah, I'm sure. I mean, I, I can understand how it's done. Have you seen this? All right. There's this guy named Aaron Weeb. Do you know who he is? He's an uncut angling guy. He has his own little YouTube show. He uh, he went out and bought a fidget spinner. Have you seen this video? I've seen that video. Mm-hmm. He, he cut, cut, cuts his own hair out. Yeah, that's <laughs> and, great. Yeah, he makes that a uh, hair jig. Oh, it's not a hair jig, but he's literally cutting chunks of hair off his off its own head. Yeah, off I've his seen scalp. That one. Yeah, that dude's that dude's pretty good. Yeah, he, oh, uh, I watched it. That one, and there's one where he makes the uh, the pike uh, lure out of a silver YouTube b- play button that he got for getting like a hundred thousand subscribers or something like that. And I, I heard we had pike and laurel. Are there northern yes, pike and laurel? There are. Stay records there. So Johnny the Johnny Appleseed one, do you think? You had to be. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's one of those things I'm gonna have to try to go catch at some point. Do we not I, want them there, I guess? I don't know how I mean I think it's it's a, a kind of almost a relic, you know. Yeah, it's, it's it's not a very dense population at all. So there's no regs on that. No. No. I mean I, I know John had several reports there for a while and then we had a new state record set down there, I think, didn't we? I'll have to go look. Did John? Um, yeah, did John verify that? I think so. Because yeah. I've oh, seen the picture of it. Is there a state record for that? Yes. You know, I'm kind of upset. So you know, I've had some, and you know, you'll find some, or used to mm-hmm. find an occasional one in a pay lake or something. Mm-hmm. And I know and there's, there's, there's native pickerels too. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I've been needing to yeah, see. I have the list of all the species of fish in Kentucky, and I, I want to catch them all. And for some reason, that chain pickerel is one I just don't know where I'm going to get or how I'm going to get it. That and the bowfin are the two that I'm convinced are going to be the hardest. The bowfin will be easier than the pickerel, oh, yeah. probably, don't you yeah. think? Well, you head out west and may get both. But, uh, yeah, well, I don't live anywhere near bowfin or pickerel around here. The so. bowfin can be aggressive, like bass spinner. You can catch bowfin. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. Or, or chicken leg. <laughs> <laughs> but I remember um, tiger musky. We stocked tiger musky for a while. For brief, and, yeah, briefly. And there's some... Uh, private reservoirs over near Winchester, I believe there's one that has tiger musky in it because that's where the state record came. And that thing, he grabbed it on the inside, didn't realize it cut him to ribbons. We had cut him down to the bone. So we actually have tiger musky too. Mm-hmm. We we stocked them for a while. Well, we used to, yeah. This one was called a private lake. I just happened to open up the fishing guide to the when was that called? State records, uh, 07. Yeah, I interviewed that guy, and I mean, I felt for him because yeah. he, he said that thing cut me. You know how to grab them. They're, you know, the gill plate. Yeah, yeah. be careful. Yeah, I mean, I don't think he'd ever caught one. And he was bass fishing in his spinnerbait. Mm. Now, this time period must have been good for that type of fish. And muskie record was 08, tiger muskie 07, pike 06. Yeah. So three years and back. Pike is, is a little. Is, yeah, it's smaller than I thought it'd be. It's only 10 pounds, 10.5. 
then there was a, a brief uh, flurry of, of reports there at Laurel, and then I haven't heard anything in several years. But that doesn't mean they're not catching them. I just haven't heard anything. You know, earlier we were talking about records and breaking people's records, and there's this guy named Andy Pelfrey out in eastern Kentucky. I've, I've talked to Andy many times. I'm state record fish program coordinator. So. <laughs> Andy from Johnson County? Yeah. I yeah. swear I'm going to go break his records one day. He's the smallest fish in the world. I broke some of his records before. I just didn't certify them because they're minnows, and he certified He's them. a good fellow. <laughs> he is. He's a good fellow. No, I'm sure. I mean, he, I mean, he's got a little niche. He enjoys it. You know, he's yeah. a good fellow. I don't know. You know. If you wanted a state record, if you just wanted to break one, that, uh, Oh, what, were the, what are the blunt-nosed minnow? <laughs> like, He's got some obscure yeah. ones there. And the log perch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love that one. Well, that, right. that, that one got broke by that lady in uh, Lake Barkley, I believe. Oh, correct? Log perch? I think you're right. Yeah. There's she was not too long ago. Yeah, it wasn't real long ago. I guess we don't have those listed in here. Yeah, some the, the complete um, uh, record list is on online, just in the nature of... of, of uh, keeping the, the guide within parameters, we yeah. know, some of those that are kind of scary, we just don't list. You know, I guess that uh, of course the blue, the blue catfish hasn't been updated here. It's 106 pounds now. It's 106.9. So yes. does that beat out the uh, paddlefish for the new largest state record that we have? I guess what is that paddlefish? 106 is what it says. Okay, yeah, it would. It's 106.9. So that's and I know the bigger fish have been caught, but I guess they've been snagged. And that guy, that guy was a couple uh, months ago, wasn't we? Yeah, yeah. that so, was on uh, like he caught it. I want to say October twentieth. Yeah, so, I think it's about eight months ago. About yeah. eight months ago, and I talked to Adam about it, and uh, Adam, you know, recorded a video, and I saw there's a, there's a video on YouTube, um, and it's on uh, Easy Find of him releasing it and everything. It's it's a gigantic fish. Yep, those big trophy <clears throat> catfish are still out there. And that guy who caught the. Uh, the paddlefish record, I believe that he was bass fishing too, and uh, the rostrum caught his line and it swam into, you know, and actually, got hooked in his mouth. Yeah. Actually, he did foul hook in the mouth, though, so that yeah, still counts. It still counts. Because I know that there's been a 200 pound paddlefish snagged, and I guess I just couldn't be certified because it was foul hooked. Yeah. Huh. Oh, well. What else we got, Lee? And did you want to go over those trout legs? I know you had that page marked and no, open. That's fine. The uh, catch and release trout scene. Well, that's that's all online, also, right? Yeah. So you said you said everywhere other than Swift Camp Creek in the gorge is yes, catch all, all the ones. Just look on the in, in the It'll guide. Be listed once catch and release. Yes, it has them all. And, uh, a lot of them are Danube National Forest. Uh, well, I've heard Otter Creek just south of Louisville is doing pretty well right now. It is. So that's close to a major population center. Yeah, we we caught been. one in July there, uh, the I sixty four bridge there over. Uh, Floyd's Fork. Yeah, Floyd. That's where I <laughs> in went. In July. Caught. I went and caught them at... Otter uh, Creek's a ball. I've done that in the winter. That's great. And, well, it's beautiful, too. It is. Otter Creek is really... If, if y'all have never been to Otter Creek, anybody near the little area, I mean, yeah. it's, it's it's a gem. It's just gorgeous. Mm-hmm. I've plenty of water in it right now. It'd be a good place to go. Mm-hmm. And not just that, but the water above Otter Creek. I mean, the miles upstream of, of that stretch or the, the Department of Fish and Wildlife owns are owned by... Uh, LG&E, I believe, owns like 5,000 acres or something right next to it, and then you got Fort Knox. Mm-hmm. So the watershed's protected. Yeah, it's not like you got a, a bunch of, a big urban area dumping water. I mean, it's a pretty... There's little caves and beautiful bluffs and undercut banks. I mean, it's... it's yeah. spring-fed. Yeah, it's it's really impressive. It feels like the water's usually cooler there, too, naturally. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it is. Like, you know, you go to the gorge, you go to one of those mountain streams, and you can feel the water's cooler than it is typically elsewhere. Like, if I go to... Uh, Swift Camp Creek in the gorge, that water feels a lot cooler than if I go jump in Silver Creek in mm-hmm. Madison County. No doubt. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, Silver Creek. I'm, I'm, 
fond place in my heart for old Silver Creek. I yeah, love I love Silver Creek too. I feel like a lot of people probably love Silver Creek just because of where it is and everybody that goes to EKU. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because if you're in EKU and you're in Richmond and you like the outdoors in any way, shape, or form, you're going to Silver Creek. Yeah. At some point or another, Silver Creek, and you're getting away, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's ten minutes from campus, and that Crow Valley area in the valley of 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 Silver Creek is just beautiful. Oh yeah, there's some beautiful overviews out there. Oh yeah, Gorge Country. Mm -hmm. It's gorgeous. I like it down there a lot, man. I I miss it. Northeastern Madison County is beautiful. It really is. There's a lot of good creeks in Madison County. Did you go to KU? No, I went to Moorhead. Yeah, you went to Moorhead. Yeah, I couldn't Good. get away from the muskie. I had to be close. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't no muskie in Silver Creek. Maybe at the maybe at the very bottom there by the river. Well, I think that uh, a lot of people that work here went to EKU because there's a good biology program at EKU. Yeah, they have but a good wildlife program. I feel like Moorhead actually had the better fisheries program, though. Right? They both had, yeah, both had good programs. And, and EKU had actually a good fisheries program, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh. And Murray, to Murray, you know, lot, we've got a lot of Murray grads that work here. Yeah, yeah. It seems like half of them all three. Half the people I talk to, I feel like half of them are from EKU. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Are you from EKU? Of course, I have three degrees from there. Of course, oh, bragging. Yeah, bragging on it over here. Yeah, I, I graduated when I was 38. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did a double major, and then I worked and, and did my master's. So yeah, very cool. I have two, but you know, I'm not as good as Lee over no, here. But, but I, you know. I, I loved it there. So I got, you know, and, and the thing I liked is immediately I got in the journalism program. They they had you writing, not sitting in class talking about writing and learning about writing. No, you got on the newspaper staff and you started cranking out copy and you learned how to do your craft. And yeah. uh, that was a very, very beneficial thing for me. So what were your two, two majors? Journalism? Journalism and history. And then I have a master's in history. Okay. Huh. And during that time, my parents were like, boy, Lee came out worthless, didn't he? <laughs> We can't beat a lick of work out of that butt for nothing. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they don't say that now, but I'm sure they were thinking that there when I was, you know, uh, in school, probably two years later. I should have been. That's funny. I was there too, man. I'll tell you what, you got anything you want to hit on either one of you? It's about um, time to wrap this up. It is. Um, also, uh, Hatchery Creek. Great opportunity, you know, to what the bank fish down below Wolf Creek Dam. Mm-hmm. Great trout fishing, uh, manageable. So if you want to get out and have like a some uh, mountain type experience, hit Hatchery Creek. Yeah. Be great it, for it. It's convenient. There's some big fish in it, and this is the time of year where you may see some a big fish coming up, too, coming up, coming up from the river. Yeah. Yep. And yeah. remember, if you're fishing down there, even if you don't keep fish, you got to have your trout permit. Yep. On the Cumberland River and Hatchery Creek. Yeah, and the Hatchery Creek is beautiful. I've been there, fished it twice, caught my first trout in Kentucky ever. On Hatchery Creek, and they, I mean it's a, it's a good time, and it's pretty. If you know the backstory behind Hatchery Creek, it's a pretty interesting story too. Why it was created and how it was the first of its kind in the U.S., maybe the world. I'm not sure about the worldwide view, but but yeah, it's it's a uh, looking for place to, to be very proud of. It's really good to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I saw the first water flow down it when we were there at the Oak. Right. You know. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's it's a it's a neat place. And you can't catch fish at home, so get out there. No yeah. doubt. Can't catch fish on the couch. That's right. <laughs> I could try. <laughs> <laughs> Anything else you guys you want to wrap it up? It's uh almost quitting time. Right? Uh, it yeah. is. Oh wow. I like Wow, it is. What yeah. happened? Yeah. Sounds great. I'm going to try the sauger tomorrow morning. All right. Well, good, good luck. I'm going to have to go after the deer while season's in. But as soon as I get my tags filled or or I need a break, I'm going to hit the hit the water as well. Hopefully for some more smallmouth. That's what I want to go do. Oh, me too. Gosh, I wish I could. Love it. It's right. time of year. Thanks for coming on, Mike. I appreciate it. Good Thanks, luck. Guys. Good luck tomorrow. Always good. Yeah. All right.